Hello and welcome to DE Classified, a podcast showcasing the history of destroyer escorts. Each month, a member of the USS Slater's education crew will highlight a specific destroyer escort and share the stories of the sailors who served aboard these trim but deadly ships. My name is Liam Mitchell, back again for another episode, where this time I'll be talking about the exciting history of USS Atherton DE-169. Now previously, I hosted episodes on USS Mitchell, USS Eldridge, USS Stewart, and the history of the Navy's birthday. If you missed those or any of our other previous episodes, you can find the full library of DE Classified on our website, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Now, as I said, I'll be discussing the history of USS Atherton, a destroyer escort who played a pivotal role in a very interesting battle, and is now one of the last remaining destroyer escorts in the entire world. But first, I'd like to discuss the incredible history of the Atherton family, who seems to pop up in almost every chapter of American history. Lieutenant Junior Grade John McDougall Atherton was born in 1918 to Peter Lee Atherton, a Kentucky businessman, and Cornelia Atherton. Now, little is actually known about John Atherton's personal life prior to his enlistment in the Navy. He was, however, named for his grandfather, who served as a Democrat in the Kentucky State House of Representatives from 1869 to 1871. Now, his grandfather also founded Atherton Whiskey, in 1867, which at one point was the largest whiskey-making operation in Kentucky by volume. Now, the Atherton family can actually trace their lineage back to the founding of the United States itself. Lieutenant Junior Grade Atherton's twice-great-grandfather, named Aaron Atherton, was part of a group of settlers who first traveled through the Cumberland Gap in the Appalachian Mountains, Aaron Atherton was later awarded a land grant by Virginia, in modern-day Kentucky, of 1,000 acres. His home, in modern-day Hodgkinville, Kentucky, was later admitted to the National Register of Historic Places. Furthermore, another of Lieutenant Junior Grade Atherton's ancestors was Alexander McDougall, a New York City merchant who became a leader of the Sons of Liberty in New York during the Revolution and would later join the Continental Army as a colonel. He would rise to the rank of Major General, and Alexander McDougall would eventually assume command of West Point following Benedict Arnold's treason. After the war, Alexander McDougall would be elected as a delegate to the Continental Congress and then served as the Secretary of the Marine and then was elected to the New York State Senate, as well as the first president of the Bank of New York and the president of the New York Society of the Cincinnati. So although we know very little about Lieutenant Junior Grade Atherton's personal life, it's clear to see that he had deep roots in the most pivotal chapters of American history. And when his time to serve his country came, he did so with the same courage as his ancestors. Now we do know that John was the youngest of four children and the only boy. He had three older sisters named Valerie, Sarah, and Cornelia. 
as well as an older half-sister from a previous marriage of his father's. At 23 years old, John joined the Navy, and after training was stationed on board USS Meredith, a Gleaves-class destroyer, where he served as a signal officer. On October 12, 1942, USS Meredith departed the island of Espiritu Santo in Vanuatu as part of a convoy of cargo ships bringing aviation fuel to Allied forces on Guadalcanal. Now, although the convoy knew that a Japanese carrier task force was in the area, Commander Harry E. Hubbard decided to continue on to Guadalcanal, even after most of the rest of the convoy turned back, because he believed the Allied forces' needs for aviation fuel outweighed any potential risk of attack. On the morning of October 15th, USS Meredith was sighted by a Japanese patrol plane. By the early afternoon, the Japanese had launched a full assault on Meredith, consisting of 38 bombers, torpedo planes, and escort fighters launched from their aircraft carrier, Zuikaku. Over the next 10 minutes, a bomb destroyed the Meredith's bridge, communications, and gun direction. A second bomb then destroyed much of the forward port side, and a torpedo exploded below the ready ammunition locker igniting the fuel oil leaking from within. Meredith rolled over and sank, and of the crew of 273 men on board, only 8 officers and 73 enlisted men survived. The survivors were then forced to endure three days of exposure on the open sea, until finally they were rescued by destroyers Grayson and Gwyn and Fleet Tug Seminole. Now, although the battle was quick, Meredith had fought bravely. She brought down three of her attackers before she sunk, and was then awarded one battle star for her heroic stand. It is estimated that over that 10 minutes, Meredith was struck by 14 bombs and 7 torpedoes. It is unknown where Lieutenant Junior Grade Atherton was when the ship sunk, but ultimately his fate was sealed with that of his ship. His body was never recovered, and he was buried at sea. In honor of Atherton's sacrifice, USS Atherton was laid down on January 14, 1943, by the Federal Shipbuilding and Dry Dock Company in Newark, New Jersey. She was launched on May 14th, formally commissioned on August 29th, sponsored by Lieutenant Atherton's mother, Cornelia. Atherton is a cannon-class destroyer escort, sitting at 306 feet long, with a beam of 36 feet and 10 inches, and a draft of 11 feet and 8 inches. She weighs in at 1,620 long tons when full, and is capable of making 21 knots, or about 24 miles per hour, when her diesel-electric propulsion system is at flank speed. She's equipped with three 3-inch 50 caliber guns, one quad 1.1-inch gun, eight 20-millimeter guns, three 21-inch torpedo tubes, one hedgehog anti-submarine mortar, eight depth charge projectors, and two depth charge tracks. Now, USS Atherton began its shakedown in September, conducting exercises in the Chesapeake Bay and making two trips to Bermuda. Her first assignment was in the Caribbean, 
where she assumed anti-submarine warfare patrol duties between St. Croix, the Virgin Islands, and Puerto Rico. On November 24th, Atherton attacked a submarine contact, but observed no damage and continued on in her duties. She was relieved on November 30th and returned to Norfolk, Virginia, where she assisted in the training of future destroyer escort sailors throughout the Chesapeake Bay. On December 11th, Atherton was assigned to protect a convoy bound for the Panama Canal. She turned back at the canal, returning to Virginia on December 27th. Now, 1944 was a busy yet quiet year for Atherton. She was assigned to her first transatlantic voyage on January 1944, operating as part of Task Force 62. Over the years, she would become a regular at both Norfolk and New York, as well as numerous visits to Casablanca, Morocco, Bizerte, Tunisia, and Oran, Algeria. And occasionally throughout the year, Atherton would also sail to the Boston Navy Yard for repairs and overhaul. And then, on May 5th, 1945, just three days before victory in Europe, Nazi U-boat U-853 torpedoed a collier ship, Black Point, en route to Boston around 5.40 p.m., despite President of the German Reich Karl Donitz issuing orders for all U-boats to cease attacking the day before. Black Point sent out a distress call, which was picked up by the Eastern Sea Frontier Command in New York and by the 1st Naval District in Boston. In response, the three nearest warships, the destroyer escorts Amick and Atherton and frigate Moberly, were diverted to the area to search for the U-boat. They arrived at the scene around 7.45 p.m. on May 5th and began sweeping the area. U-853 was discovered sitting on the seabed just after midnight, in just over 100 feet of water. Now the ensuing battle, known as the Battle of Point Judith, continued on for half a day. Oil was first sighted after the first attack in the early hours of the night, yet the attacks continued as each ship continued to pick up contacts. A fourth ship, USS Ericsson, arrived soon after and took command of the scene. Destroyer escort Amic departed for a prearranged rendezvous, and with the arrival of reinforcements consisting of the destroyers Barney, Breckenridge, and Blakely, the frigate Newport, the corvettes Action and Restless, and the auxiliary destroyer Semis, they established a perimeter around the area to make sure the U-boat didn't slip away leaving Atherton and Moberly to continue the direct attack. By 5.30 in the morning, debris was finally observed in the water. They saw oil, planking, life rafts, a chart tabletop, clothing, and an officer's cap. This was reported to the 1st Naval District in Boston. However, the command did not accept the sinking and ordered the attacks to continue. A few hours later, K-Class blimps K-16 and K-58 also joined the attack, locating oil slicks and marking suspected locations with smoke and dye markers. Finally, just after noon on May 6th, the Eastern Sea Frontier Command in New York accepted the destruction of the U-boat and the battle came to a close. Divers from the submarine rescue ship USS Penguin were sent down later that day. 
and the sinking of U-853 was confirmed with no survivors. Now, over the course of the battle, Atherton launched her depth charges and hedgehogs four times. The entire collected American naval force dropped a collective 264 hedgehogs and 95 depth charges. And so, due to the massive amount of ordnance dropped and the long period of battle, it's unknown when exactly the U-boat was officially sunk and who officially did it. Despite this, Atherton was formally co-credited with Moberly and both ships received a battle star for their actions. Although it was only one U-boat, the Battle of Point Judith was notable for a few reasons. One, the Collier Black Point was the last U.S. merchant ship sunk by a U-boat in World War II. Second, U-853 was the last Nazi U-boat sunk in the war. As I mentioned earlier, victory in Europe would come only days later. And finally, this battle took place just 8 miles off the coast of Block Point, Rhode Island, making it one of the closest battles to American shores, specifically on the eastern seaboard, during the entirety of the war. Now after returning to port, Atherton sailed for Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, arriving on June 1, 1945. She remained there for a week, conducting exercises with Escort Division 13, before sailing for the Pacific on June 6th. She transited the Panama Canal and stopped in San Diego, and then continued on to Pearl Harbor on June 29th. Now, she spent the remainder of her life with the U.S. Navy, performing a variety of assignments around the Pacific. She did exercises in Pearl and then sailed for Saipan, where she conducted anti-submarine patrols there throughout July. In August, she sailed to Ulithi and operated on a picket station, and then made two round-trip voyages between Ulithi and Okinawa, escorting convoys. She then returned to Saipan, where she spent the remainder of the war assigned to rescue station duties. After victory in the Pacific, Atherton headed back to the east coast of the United States, stopping of course at Pearl and San Diego, before transiting the Panama Canal and reaching Jacksonville, Florida in early December. On December 10, 1945, USS Atherton was finally decommissioned from U.S. service and placed in the reserve fleet at Green Cove Springs, Florida, where she sat for the next 10 years. But rather than being sold for scrap like most of her sister ships, Atherton found a new life in 1945 when she was actually transferred to Japan. She was commissioned into the Japanese Maritime Self-Defense Force and renamed Hatsuhi DE-263. She remained in Japan for 20 years before decommissioning in 1975 and returning to the reserve fleet in the United States. But yet again, Atherton's life was not yet finished. After three years in the reserve fleet, Atherton was again transferred, this time to the Philippines. She was commissioned in 1980 as BRP Raja Humaban PS-78 and then she was reclassified as a patrol frigate and her hull number was changed to PS-6. 
She served in the Philippines until 1993 when she was decommissioned, but then they recommissioned her again in 1995 as PF-11. Now, as Raja Humaban PF-11, she actually became the flagship of the Philippine Navy. She still used her World War II armament, despite the drastic improvements in naval warfare technology over the previous 50 years. She continued on in the Philippine Navy, performing ceremonial functions, including welcoming foreign warships arriving for joint training exercises. On March 15th, 2018, Raja Humuban, formerly USS Atherton, was finally decommissioned for the last time. At the time of her decommissioning, she was one of the oldest active naval ships in the world, and one of only a handful left over from World War II. She was transferred to Naval Station Sangley Point in Manila Bay, and there she remains. It is anticipated that she will become a museum ship herself, and she's currently undergoing preparations for the next chapter in her long and storied life. Thank you for listening to DE Classified. This podcast is brought to you by the Destroyer Escort Historical Museum aboard USS Slater. You can find a transcript of this episode, accompanying photos, and a bibliography at ussslater.org slash declassified. Once again, thanks for listening. And we hope you join us next month when we de-classify USS England.